Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 192, the April 1985 issue on sale, January 8th of 1985, with a cover price of 65 cents up from last month. And the uh, title of this one is Fun and Games. X-Men style. Well, no, not X-Men style, but fun and games. Inflation, y'all. Yep, it would it would be a few more years before we got up to the uh, the three ninety nine price that we're currently at, or is it two ninety nine? I don't know. It's like a million bucks. It depends on what book you're reading. I think they've been pretty pretty uh, set at two ninety nine for quite a while, but every now and then there's some prestige copies that are like three ninety nine. Kill those dirty prestige copies. I tell you what, son. So, in the cover of this X Men comic book, stop, stop, stop recording. recording. Yeah, it's me. It's me, Adam. But but not the one that you're talking to right now. It's Adam, from, it's the Adam from the future. Wait, weren't you're not the Adam that was just telling me all the details about X Men one ninety two? No, 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 no. This is this is Adam from the 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 future. Have we recorded our special video live podcast yet? No, we're uh, we're getting ready to though. It's gonna oh, be good, awesome. Good. It's gonna be live and everything. Oh, oh my gosh! Uh, what a you relief! Know, you know this already. You're. I mean, if you're, what you're telling me is the truth, you're from the future. I've got to tell you, do not record the special episode on Tuesday, October fourth, at nine o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock Central of two thousand sixteen. Do not do this, Jeremy. I I don't understand. I. I understand that you don't understand, and that's okay. You just have to trust me. Worlds are going to collide and end, and all of our fans are going to simultaneously explode. I can't explain it, but you just have to trust me. Tuesday, October 4th, 2016, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Do not record. Okay, okay, fine. But let me ask you, how far in the future are you from? I am from, I, I can't reveal that. I can't reveal too much. 2017, not that far in the future. Oh, so it's, it's, it's like mid-January. How, how did uh, the Wolverine movie go? Or how about Gambit? Did Gambit ever come out? I don't know if I should be revealing these things to you. Oh. Channing Tatum is awesome, though. I never thought so until the Gambit trailer came out. And wow, he knocked it out of the park. Okay, okay. So let me get this straight. Uh, on October 4th at 8 p.m. Central, 9 o'clock Eastern, Myself, Jeremy, from the like, your past, but my present with Adam. Where is present Adam, by the way? Like, shouldn't he be hearing you right now? Oh, oh, or did you pull me into like one of those like 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 time time envelopes where it's, like yes, it's exactly. It's like a time. It's a time bubble. You can't see Adam because you're recording a podcast, but he is actually frozen right now, mid sentence. Whatever he was saying, I don't know. Holy crap! So, are you telling me right now, like everything is frozen in time? Absolutely everything. Hang on, I'll be right back. Oh, my God. I just pulled the neighbor's pants down. It was awesome. We got to do this more often, Adam. I really like being frozen in time. Uh, now, can you unfreeze time or like how, what do we do next here? I don't, I, I'm actually getting kind of bored here. And it's actually a little eerie and creepy. I think that 
I've gone too far. Did you know and- that when time stops, like the wind stops? It's really, really, it's really weird, like eerily silent out there. But when I walk around, it's like mid breeze, so I can feel the breeze, but I can't hear it. So weird. You should write a poem about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea, but but actually, I'm I'm getting a little creeped out. Like like I don't feel like you should be messing around with the time space continuum like this, Adam. It, it feels oh, you're weird. probably right. I you're the repercussions of your neighbors are probably going to be detrimental. They're going to freak out when they see their pants down. I'll tell you that. I, I can only imagine. I just thought you were more responsible. <laughs> Adam, 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 this is Jeremy from the future. Future beyond your, your future. future. Yeah. Wait, what? Why did time stop? I recognize this. This is very strange. Yeah, yeah. No, don't do what I did. Don't pull people's pants down because trust me, it does not turn out well. Not even my own pants, because that's all I really wanted to do. Oh, that's fine. You can do that all you want. As long as nobody else is in the room, because when I unfreeze time to let you unfreeze time for the past Jeremy and Adam, like whoever's in the room with you will freak the heck out. But you know what? That This is all unimportant. Like, I'm, I'm on a, uh, a time crunch here. I got to get going. But you can't stop them from stopping the live vidcast. Tuesday, October 4th, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern at www.xmenpodcast.com forward slash livecast. But but bad things happened. You know what? Bad things seemed to have happened, but in actuality, those bad things were caused by you trying to stop them from actually doing the podcast. Oh, my God. The fact of the matter is, is if you hadn't have tried to stop them, none of it would have happened uh, in the first place or the second place or the last. In one of the places, anyways, and, and honestly, I'm 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 flirting with a uh, uh, disaster here just by going back to tell you to stop them or to stop you from stopping them. So, so you're telling me that the podcast from Tuesday, October fourth, two thousand sixteen, nine o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock Central, at www.xmenpodcast.com slash livecast should go on. This show uh, must proceed. Like, I don't want to. Sp- give away anything but i mean you you've seen bill and ted's excellent adventure right like yes the, many the, times the podcast could have some repercussions of that nature and if we stop it those repercussions won't happen are we going to form the wild stallions look i've said too much i've said too much i gotta go uh remember don't pull anybody's pants down even yours uh and you might want to tell uh past past jeremy that he should probably pull his neighbor's pants up uh because that doesn't actually turn out very well uh and we should just fix that little gap up as well all right i gotta go i'm out uh any any you know anything you want to say before i take off man you know um yeah where are you from oh i can't tell you that i can tell you that the future of x-men cinema is not great though what (laughs) oh man uh, Adam, you're kind of freaking me out here. Uh, uh, you know, you know what's going to happen in a second, Jeremy, is what? I'm going to push a magical button and you're not going to remember any of this having happened. Whoa. Um, so don't worry about it. Um, Mr. Sinister was great in the new Wolverine movie. Bye. 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 Huh. Weird. So in the cover of this X-Men comic book. You have a very perturbed warlock in the background turning Nightcrawler, Rogue, and Colossus into techno-organic transmuted people. It's pretty cool. Uh, in the in the mutant box, we we got back Wolverine and Kitty Pride. Is that a spoiler? Uh, and also Cyclops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure why that's there. <laughs> Yeah, somebody just going crazy with a little uh, Marvel box face stamper. 
I, I think they just went back to the previous Marvel box prior to when there was just the four of them. Colossus, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Rogue. Yeah. How come the professor never gets in the box? Uh, he had one box where he was in his snazzy outfit. What's in the box? Oh, that's right. He had the box to himself. Yeah, yeah. Full-size drawing, too. So, yeah, we open up this thing. Chris Claremont's the writer. John Romita Jr. and Dan Green are the artists. With a special thanks to Steve Leoa. Leo Leoloha. Leoloha. We've, we've been through this before. We sure have. Uh, Glennis Queen is the colors. Tom Morzakowski is the letter. And Nascenti is the editor. And Heem Huter is the editor. Heen Heef. <laughs> Chief. Chief. I keep mispronouncing that. Steve Lealoha is, um, he'll be around for a while. He's an inker. I think he's just helping Dan Green out, maybe. Yeah, but he he's like all, I think his his his. But fingerprints are going to be all over Secret Wars and oh, okay. all sorts of other stuff that we are reading. I was looking ahead a little bit, and he, his fingerprints are definitely in future issues of X-Men as well. And uh, t- to the benefit of the X-Men, I should all say. All right. Yeah. Go Steve Lealoha. So, fun and games, everybody. X-Men style. He starring the Uncanny X-Men. Colossus is... Get he gets the opening splash panel. He's very angrily pulling like a concrete cork out of the ground or something. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he looks angry, but he's not. What it, what it actually turns out is the X Men here or the few X Men that remain are playing a superheroed version of hide and go seek. So Colossus thinks that Nightcrawler, who is who he's searching for, is hiding. Under this giant thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, um, John Romita Jr. is just like, I want to draw an angry, flexing colossus. And he drew it. And he's like, what? what's he doing? Kind of looks like he's taking a dump. All right. He's pulling something out of the ground. And uh, yeah, then Chris Claremont's like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, yeah, he's looking for Nightcrawler underground. <laughs> um. I don't know. Maybe he's been searching for him for like two hours and he's just frustrated and looking everywhere, you know, and trying to find something and you can't find it and it gets longer and longer and you start looking in ridiculous places. Yeah. You're opening the freezer looking for your car keys. You're like, it could yeah. be in there. I haven't looked there yet. <laughs> so he's definitely he's eliminating this uh, from the list of possibilities of where Nightcrawler could be. Somebody at a place that I used to work at would steal people's car keys and put them in the freezer in a glass in a cup of water not not like their their car opening fobs yeah this was before electronic car keys okay so it was never like damaging yeah yeah that's actually kind of funny i don't think he would go that far although he might i had an ex-girlfriend who had financial problems and problems with credit cards and her solution to that was to take all of her credit cards and put them in a mason jar and freeze them in water in the freezer. And I said, well, that's that's a good idea, I guess, because if you ever want to use those credit cards, you have to melt all the ice. And the whole time you're melting all the ice, you're thinking about, like, well, really, should I be doing this? But I was like, I think there's a simpler solution. Why don't you just cut those damn things up? <laughs> you don't need to freeze them. But anyways... So it turns out that Nightcrawler is up on a cliff, and he looks down, and he totally gives away his position, and he's like, Oh, my friend, I'm up here. 
Apparently, Colossus is also standing on a cliff because Nightcrawler jumps off of the cliff that he is on top of, knocking Colossus off the cliff that he is on top of into the water below. It's a multi-tiered cliff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we get a little uh, little uh, dialogue or a little thought from Nightcrawler describing how he was able to catch uh, Colossus off guard as he was turning and then cause him to lose balance, toppling them over the cliff. As you said, Colossus goes splashing into the water, but at the last moment, Nightcrawler teleports away uh, to, I don't know, even maybe a higher cliff because he's pretty high up. I think it's the first cliff. Okay. Although maybe you're right. It could be an even farther higher cliff. And you can definitely see, you know, down below by the water, there is that concrete plug. That Which cl- doesn't I'm, look like it fits in the hole that Colossus made. I'm worried now that that plug's been pulled out. I, I think that whatever island they're on is going to sink. What? Yeah, you think that it was just holding the water out? <laughs> yeah, now it's just going to fill up and this whole thing is going to... I don't know. There's no real explanation for why this thing exists, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so Nightcrawler's thinking to himself, um, well, actually we get a, we get a little, uh, plot twist here. Uh, Nightcrawler is now the new team leader. Um, yeah, we get that in the, the X-Men's current leader teleports himself to safety. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, this issue is filled with revelations of Nightcrawler's leaderhood. And so he thinks to himself, uh, well, he's not very impressed with their behavior. He's glad the professor isn't here to see them because the new mutants would probably perform better than they are. But he also notes that they're pretty shorthanded, so, you know. Yeah, it's just Colossus and Nightcrawler and Rogue who sneaks up behind Nightcrawler and says, I'm doing fine for myself, sugar, and grabs Nightcrawler and catches him off guard and... Flies away with him, caught, and he's like, Whoa. Yep, so they fly up into the sky, and uh, Nightcrawler teleports out of her arms and onto her back, covering her eyes uh, with his arms. And so now she can't see, so she's flying loop-de-loops all over the place. She starts heading downwards towards the water. Nightcrawler teleports away, and Rogue crashes into the water right next to Colossus. Aww. I think we get a new word here. Isn't new, this so much oh. more fun? Kamaradan? Kamaradan. Wow. I I forgot we did that. I'm going to guess that that means like comrade. So maybe he's talking about Colossus there? I I guess so. <laughs> or maybe maybe it's comrades. Like it's plural. Oh, that very well could be. I'm looking it up as we speak, so we'll know shortly. I can't wait. Mates. Aha. Kameraden. Kameraden. Mates. With a heavy krr. Yeah. Kameraden. Well, no, I think I added the uh, the heavy Ks. Oh, uh, because they're Klingons? Uh, well, no, Germans always have the, the kind of throaty hockey noise. Aren't Klingons loosely based on Germans? I don't know. Probably. It's a beautiful language. Did you ever have the uh, the Klingon... The the Klingon guide to pronunciation or whatever. No, that was popular back in at the height of T and G. No, no, I knew that a lot of people were into it and bought the dictionaries and taught them how to taught themselves how to speak fluent Klingon. I had the uh, the book on tape as read by Michael Dorn. Oh, that's kind of cool, I guess. 
And it's really just a bunch of pronunciation of words, which it's fairly hilarious. <laughs> so Nightcrawler, he teleports himself up on top of the cliff and he's laughing about uh, all of this. And he's like, this is more fun than working out in our danger room, don't you think? Ha ha. Ho ho ho. He he he, says Nightcrawler. Uh, it's uh, I don't know about you, but I am having the time of my life. My brand new outfit, soaked to the bone. Is this a new costume for Rogue? Um, I think she was wearing it last. Well, I guess the last episode would be a few episodes ago, but I thought she was wearing it when they fought Celine. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Rogue is in, and both Kitty Pride are in a period of their careers where their costumes aren't settled it seems like they they change a lot before they finally uh fall into place but i yeah i don't remember so anyways uh rogue helps uh colossus out of the water um and uh you know colossus is apologizing for his poor performance because he's all kind of worried about what's going on with kitty because her and wolverine are coming home from japan tonight you could have gone with the prop and storm to meet her. He's lamenting the fact that she left because of him, so why should he be there? He didn't ask to fall in Zaji, and at this point, he doesn't even know if he really did fall in love with Zaji. And now he's just all confused. I am not good with feelings. Hey, Jeremy, remember when you briefly didn't know what Secret Wars was? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> That was a good time. <laughs> well, I'm assuming that this person named Zaji was from Secret Wars, but I didn't read that, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, yeah, so Rogue is, she feels bad for Colossus. She says maybe the Carol Danvers side of her could help out a little bit, and that inspires Nightcrawler to uh, inquire whether or not Rogue has gotten carol danvers weird little ability to sense the future which which was an ability that i didn't know that she had until we read those early issues of uh miss mrs miss marvel yep yeah and she was always using that stuff i had forgotten about that uh but rogue she's like well maybe but i don't know that i've had any senses of it let's change the subject okay i don't like talking about this Nightcrawler says, no, I don't want to change the subject. I'm going to tickle you. <laughs> so he does start tickling her and tickling and tickling. And Rogue at first is like, ha, 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 stop it. Oh, you're so mean. And if you don't stop, then she gets more and more angry. She says, I'm going to hit you. And then she totally does hit him. Well, he starts bamfing all over the place. So it's like he's tickling her at six different places at once. And so the point of this was for Nightcrawler crawler to goad the seventh sense out of her so that maybe she could anticipate where his position was so she could stop him which appears she does or she just got lucky she might have just gotten lucky nightcrawler's tail uh looks like a giant wiener in this panel no <laughs> i just look i'm going back to the old notes where they said uh never ever ever draw nightcrawler's tail between his legs <laughs> and here is, I think, the very first time Nightcrawler's tail has been drawn directly between his legs. 
You're filthy. It's all in your head. <laughs> you're, you're such a filthy guy. You're gross. Nightcrawler goes flying towards the side of the wall, and Rogue's like, oh my god, what have I done? So before he can splatter against the wall, she flies around, catches him, and brings him back to safety. Now, Chris Claremont used to write Miss Marvel, and I wonder if he invented this power, and that's why he remembers it, or if he just has a very strong familiarity with her and just kind of wants to touch upon those additional powers. I don't know what Chris Claremont's deal is, but it appears that he is very much fond of the character of Carol Danvers and won't let us forget that Carol Danvers exists and that Rogue got her powers and we keep learning new things about her power set and stuff. Which is, you know, it's it's good. Although I don't know about this seventh sense continuing through today. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, I've read a lot of X-Men and... Honestly, and I've read this issue quite a few times as a kid, and I had actually forgotten about the whole Seventh Sense thing. So, I don't know. So, yeah, she flies him up, and and uh, Colossus wonders if he's going to be okay. Rogue says, yeah. And that's when Nightcrawler says, oh, would you, would could I thank you with a kiss? <laughs> and, and that's when Rogue flips out. You louse! Not another word or so help me. I'll rip you from limb from misbegotten limb. I'm wet and furry. I hate being wet. Hilarity. Ha ha ha. Colossus asks if he needs a hand up, and he's like, I don't understand. Why would she be so upset? Oh, that's right. She can't touch people. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Rogue's power, uh, power manifested itself when she was barely in her teen. She's, she, teens. She's probably never been kissed, probably never even been touched. What? <laughs> all of the things we take for granted, all the sensations and pleasures with uh, we share with others are totally alien to her. Now, I think what Nightcrawler means is intimately touched, but... Yeah. Uh, it's... Yeah. <laughs> if, if her power manifested itself in her teens, she's probably been touched. Yeah. But not maybe, probably not, not intimately. And certainly, well, I mean, I guess we don't really know at this point if she's kissed anybody or not. So I don't think that part of her history has been written yet. But Nightcrawler's just speculating anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, and so he goes on to say that possessing Carol's memories must be torture because she has memories and feelings of what it's like to be intimate with somebody, but something that she can never experience firsthand. I don't know that that would be torture. That would be kind of nice. Well, I mean, I don't know about that, because you'd have it in the back of your mind like, man, kissing's so awesome. Too bad I can never kiss anybody. Because <laughs> if you never even knew what kissing was, you'd be like, ew, that looks gross. And I can't do it anyway, so the hell with it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess. Nightcrawler's like, oh, how could I be so stupid? I'm a terrible leader. <laughs> Colossus points out that she went up to an abandoned mansion, which begs, where the hell are they? They're on a cliff <laughs> that has other cliffs. And mansions on it. <laughs> and so Nightcrawler's like, nah, we should probably give her her space. And uh, that's when a blinding light flashes right by the mansion. And uh, something's falling down towards them, so they duck and cover, and the uh, 
apex of the white flash appears to be on or behind the mansion. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, at the airport. There are a lot of very, well, the professor's eavesdropping on everybody's thoughts and keeping a journal of what everybody's saying because I think he's looking for more anti-mutant sentiment. Yeah, he's he's giving a lecture uh, for a course that he's teaching in Columbia University. And I guess this is going to help him. Yeah, I think we'll learn a little bit more about that. I think he's just gathering notes for like his lecture, like you said. So I don't know, maybe trying to dispel some anti-mutant rhetoric or just trying to get uh, a pulse on what's actually going on in society. But nevertheless... Uh, Apparently, he writes in his journal, white-haired cutie, hot stuff rock star, somebody famous, which uh, eavesdropping Storm leans over and says, is that a reference to me, Professor? And then the professor says, what? Huh? Storm? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was totally mind reading. Really? Yeah, that's what was happening. It's mind reading. <laughs> I'm not writing that down about you because that'd be weird. I'm your teacher and your friend. I've never fallen in love with my students. No, no, no. Recently. <laughs> not not in the last few months anyways. Yeah, actually, you know, I, I guess I never interpreted it that way, but that's probably exactly what he's doing. He's writing down verbatim what everybody's thinking. I always thought that in this sequence, he was just mind-linking Rogue or Storm in for some reason, but that doesn't make any sense, and what you said makes more sense. So they go on to talk about how the anti-mutant uh, menace has become a lot more uh, engrossed ever since the whole, uh, I think, the whole Dazzler thing. Yeah, the Dazzler movie is what they're blaming as the catalyst for this kind of anti-mutant sentiment that has been building up. It's kind of – it's it's interesting. I mean, they've – it's kind of been building all along, but I think Heem Shooter, having written the Dazzler uh, graphic novel was seems to be like harnessing all of this sentiment and telling everybody to use use Dazzler as the focal point. Yeah, he wanted that to be a tipping point. Uh, or, I don't know, he just wrote it. He's like, I want this to be important, so everybody should write about it. <laughs> the airplane is running late. Storm says something like, well, the weather's pretty bad. I would have helped if I could, but can't because I lost my powers. Remember? Yep. Roro's remark was made in jest, but that's merely a facade. She masks her true feelings. The loss of her elemental powers still hurts. And she still loves Forge, who's responsible for making her lose her powers. If only there was something I could do. Mind wipe. <laughs> you will not remember your powers or this man named Forge. Problem solved. Moving on. <laughs> They take a look over to Ileana, who has a cameo here for really no reason, but she's... Uh, well, it makes sense. She's Kitty's best friend, so she would be at the airport with them. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, th this portion, though, does nothing to forward the story. That's all I'm saying. Makes yeah, sense. True. Makes sense that she's there. It, and it makes sense that she would be smuggling Lockheed in her purse to meet Kitty at the airport. She's wearing a buckaroo bonsai hat, which, you know, I've never seen that movie. I have, and I don't, it was one of those movies that I understand is very culty, but I never really got it. So I guess it's something that you either get or you don't. Yeah. One of these days I'm going to have to check it out so that I can make that judgment call. Because apparently if you like it, like you love it. And if you don't right. like it, you're just kind of like, eh, it's just an 80s movie. 
There was a comic, uh, a Marvel comic of it as well. Well, the movie, as far as I understand, was supposed to launch like a whole, you know, cartoon, comic book, toys, and then, you know, two or three sequels to try to rival Star Wars. It definitely feels like one of those 80s movies in that in that weird way that you can you can tell this movie was from the 80s. I heard uh, Kevin Smith was tapped to either direct or write or launch a Buckaroo Banzai TV show. I believe that's still in the works. Yeah, so there you go. Little little tie into Great. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, she's thinking to himself uh, that uh, Peter should be here. He's such a bozo. Why why won't he stop being so awkward? Maybe he and Kitty won't even be friends after all of this. Yeah, if if he's going to be doing stuff like not showing up at the airport, he's just going to rub her the wrong way. Yeah, instead of Jerk. The, instead of the right way, which is what he should be doing. All right. <laughs> Anyways, Rachel is off in the corner. Like why is she at the airport? They were probably like, "Hey, Rachel, you want to go? We're picking up Kitty and uh Wolverine at the airport and she was like yeah I know who those people are I might as well go so she's also eavesdropping in on what's going on and she's getting some more anti-mutant sentiment she's like ugh probably shouldn't be listening in the professor says I shouldn't do this but it's my second nature I was a hound but the more I hear the more upset I get the professor says she shouldn't eavesdrop but he has no problem eavesdropping do as, as I long s- as it's for a lecture yeah do as I say not as I do now he, he could have like employed her and been like i know you're having trouble like so why don't you transcribe all of these texts or all of these people's thoughts yeah i'll make you useful just pretty much a tag along at this point well it could also be some training because as she she goes on she says that uh, the more upset she gets the harder it is for her to screen out these side thoughts so the professor could use that as an exercise to, Mm -hmm. to help narrow down in conversations but no the professor is selfish as we've already discovered the point is, I should have been the professor. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and so Rachel goes on to think about her future and Americans uh, who were supposedly ordinary and decent led uh, the mutants into concentration camps and let them get slaughtered and killed. And and so that sucks. The X-Men, her mom, her dad, even Kate, who I'm now picking up at the airport. She's... Still Kitty here, but when I knew her, she was twice her age, part part surrogate mother, and mostly my best friend. Yep. And so she's staring at a mirror as she thinks all of this, and the next thing she knows, she is in her hound outfit uh, in the dystopian future, and she's like, "What? What? what's going on here? Was it all a fantasy? Was it all a dream? Why am I here? Kate's right next to her, and she says, hey. Pull yourself together. We got a mission. And so the two of them are on a mission. Uh, and this this happens after Days of Future Past. Does it? I mean, it does. But is it? do you think that this future that they are in is the same universe? It has to be, right? It has to I be. think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it doesn't have to be. But we are led to believe at this point we don't know that there are multiple universes do you so yeah, that's true. i would have to say that yes this is the same one so 
uh, something that's never, to my knowledge, ever been addressed is that the Rachel in X Men one forty one and one forty two has got kind of like longer, mousier hair than than uh, this Rachel's kind of uh, spiky, short eighties do. do. Well, that th- Rachel wasn't a hound either. So, well, that's my question. I mean, I, I think we can agree that the two Rachels are the same Rachel. Yes. Is it possible that? The Hound stuff never happened until after the events of X-Men 141 and 142? That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Although, like you said, we never get that story. Not that, yeah, I'm not aware of. So it's possible that Kate and Rachel lost touch with one another. Rachel was captured, turned into a hound, and somewhere along the line they reconvened, uh, and now they're trying to pull off this particular mission. Or maybe this is uh, uh, another one of their many missions after her hound transformation. Or maybe that this memory is, uh, maybe she's slightly scattershot at the moment and this memory is not entirely accurate as of the turn of events. Or it's a retcon, as maybe we'll find out as we continue reading. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, she, so there, she's like, uh, uh, Rachel goes on to talk about the time shift and how they thought that they could do a physical body, but they didn't know if they could, and so... That's why she went back in time and everything. She doesn't even remember this event happening. Right. Um, so maybe she, it never did. She says, I want to go home, Kate. And Kate says, pop it. There's no one left to do this job but us. Because they all died in Days of Future Past. Everybody's dead. So Kate has, I guess, masked her mutant powers and has assumed the identity of Carol Danvers, uh, and is able and has custody, I guess, of Rachel the Hound, because they're able to make it past security and say, "Hey, we got top secret clearance. We got to go uh, to the nerve center of Project Nimrod." It's a terrible name for a project. Project Nimrod. Well, I mean, Nimrod has multiple meanings, but isn't isn't other than being kind of a term less of endearment isn't it also a like a god or a demigod or a oh i don't know i think in in some mythology the name nimrod is synonymous with a powerful being and not just like you nimrod what are you doing (laughs) i am unfamiliar with that but i i'm intrigued (laughs) well maybe one day we'll look it up (laughs) not today though no (laughs) so the door closes kate commands rachel to telekinetically scramble the locks so that if anybody discovers what they're going to do they'll have to blast their way in then what says rachel this lab is shielded against your phasing power we're trapped she's like i know part of kate's plan this is this is the last mission we're going to get in there we're going to take care of project nimrod uh once i know that you're safe I'll deal with Nimrod. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to leave you. And then she says a magical code word, Dark Phoenix. And uh, that transports Rachel back into time, into the episode that we already covered. Yeah. Uh, Months ago, I used my side powers to temporarily exchange Kate's powers, a la X-Men 141 and 142. Now with the words Dark Phoenix, I'm suddenly swept away to uh, uh, somewhere beyond my comprehension to find myself in the world in the past. So now she's kind of thinking to herself, uh, well, first she sees Kate, or Kitty, I guess. 
Well, she's we, she sees Kitty, but it's it's a Kitty that we've never seen before. It's the new and improved Yukio Kitty. Yes, she's got the Yukio haircut. She's got big old dangly earrings. She's been Yukio-fied. And so she thinks to herself after this very brief um, meeting of the two of them uh, that maybe coming back in time, the time shift wasn't actually her idea. Perhaps Kate uh, planted the idea and with the code word kind of made all this happen. And it wasn't until she had this memory that she kind of learned the truth, which to me just screams retcon. <laughs> the, to what ends too it's kind of like that's that's interesting but why are we retconning something that happened five issues ago i think that this just adds i don't know i think this just adds backstory maybe to nimrod maybe i don't know i like okay. it I, I like it it's all good i mean I think when uh, Chris Claremont first brought her back in, what, X-Men or New Mutants, one of the two, he had an idea, like a little nugget of a, hey, I want to do this. This is post-Days of Future Past, and then we'll work from there. But I don't think he had quite the vision, and now I think he's, like, you know, molding the vision, and it, and it restarts with this retcon, which is fine. You know what the story needs? More Nimrod. More Nimrod. She must have scrambled my memories a little, too, so that I'd believe this, the time slip was my own idea till I was ready to handle the truth. She wouldn't have done it unless she knew she had no hope of surviving. I guess that makes me her and maybe the future's only hope. So it's a cool idea, but you're you're right. It's like, why bother? <laughs> All of that just seems needlessly complicated. And I guess I guess my question is, what's what's the payoff? Like, why change it? Um. To what end? And I guess maybe maybe we'll find out. Maybe there is something that I don't remember that is a reason why they did this. No, not in this issue. Definitely not in this issue. Nothing that I even remember, but maybe I just don't. I'll, I'll try to keep it in the back of my mind as I'm reading these. Me too. Anyway. Everybody gets welcomed home. Uh, Kitty and Aurora embrace. Professor and Wolverine shake hands. Lockheed is now flying outside of the in the airport terminal, uh, and nobody seems to mind. Well, you know, the professor is pretty open about mind wiping people. This issue, yeah. So he's probably just not allowing people to see uh, Lockheed. Kitty turns around and she's like, "Ah, did you see the flash up there? It was lit up the whole sky." And wait a minute, you, I know you. Impossible. You were unconscious the whole time. I remember I was in the future. You protected me. You're Rachel. That's cool. I like that. Well, if you remember, at the end of X-Men 142, there was like a like a friendly kiss between the two characters as they time slipped back. Right. Which kind of set the, the seed for they might potentially remember this event. Right. So, yeah, nice nice callback. Good on you, Mr. Claremont. Whoop-choo. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Colossus and Nightcrawler make their way to the mansion to figure out what's going to happen. Um, and they find the impact crater, and the ground is smooth as glass, and they both slide into the bottom of the crater. And at the bottom of that crater, they discover uh, a Warlockian tree. And a Warlockian um, deer, stag. 
and I guess, uh, but I, what I mean by Warlackian is what that it's got that techno organic circuitry embedded into it. I have seen this effect before. There is an oak yard or oak in the yard of our house, and one of my sister Ilana's limbo creatures as well, done by Warlock. Those are some pretty cool lawn ornaments. Yeah, you, you'd think that the neighbors might say something. Hey, I was wondering if I could buy your um, warlockified limbo creature. I think it'd be more like, um, yeah, that oak tree that you have that's made out of circuit boards, Um, it's really wreaking havoc on my property value and I'm trying to sell. Um, Yeah, that and the airplane that comes out of the pool, that makes a lot of noise. I would think that it would, uh, you know, increase the value of the property because, like, you don't have to worry about roots anymore. That's a good point. So, yeah, they, they're like, wow, geez, is, is Warlock here? Or, or I guess I read the files, and in the files, he's got a father, and his father is a more powerful version of him. So it, it could be him. I, they pretty much decide at this point it must be his father. Yeah. Rogue, on the other hand... Not aware of this. She's kind of unconscious inside the mansion. She wakes up. She looks around. And she's like, "Whoa, you what's what's going on, warlock?" And the not quite warlock being says, "You know my offspring." I really like this first. I think Bill Sinkevich could have done it better, but I really like this. Uh, drawing of magus it looks like you know he's got his his big mouth and then it looks like there's like a little stringy mouth hanging down below the word balloon is that what that is because that that, to me that looks like a cigar put out in an ice cream cone (laughs) i've always looked at that as like just a second crazy mouth i guess so i mean it's it's warlock it's it's magus so he can transmutate do whatever he wants to and look just as crazy as he wants don't see that but Hey, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can appreciate it. It's it's the uh, techno-organic Rorschach test. So, uh, Magus, is it Magus, Magus, Magus? Oh, I've always called him Magus, but I guess I don't know. So, so Magus uh, reaches over to grab uh, Rogue with the intention of transmuting her or turning her into techno-organicness. Reminder, and, uh, this is how the warlock aliens feed is they turn you into a techno organic creature and then they drain your life force and that's how they right. that's how they feed and in this instance he before he, he he wants to do he wants to take over her so that he can know where warlock is right he surmises that if she knows where warlock is then by absorbing her he can figure out where warlock is um, and that's when Rogue realizes that it's not Warlock, it's Magus, and she dives out of the room with his stringy arms chasing after her through the house, grabs onto her. Luckily, uh, she determines that he needs flesh-to-flesh contact, just like her, and she breaks his arm. Yep, breaks it off. Uh, and, and She's nap. And in an electronic scream, Magus says... Yarger. Is there a G in there? Uh, I think it's Y A I E A H R. Yair. Yair. Okay, key. 
And that's when the chimney falls down on top of Magus. The chimney? Where'd that come from? Turns out it's Colossus and Nightcrawler, the cavalry. They've come in, and they're like, careful, that's Warlock's daddy. And they're like, yep, we know. So let's let's get him. I don't like Colossus's new outfit. No, not really. Not I mean, this all. is just a bad drawing of Colossus where his waist is super tiny. Yeah. But I really don't like this outfit. It won't last long. Good. So, yeah, he's Colossus is just pummeling and beating the tar out of Magus, and he's like, hmm, that was not that hard. But little <laughs> does he know, Magus is not down. He he transforms his arm into a giant hand and, and grabs Colossus, and they go shooting off into the sky. Uh, Colossus is worried that if this keeps on going, he's going to lose consciousness and revert to his human form, and then he will get absorbed. Uh, meanwhile, back at the bottom of Magus, I guess, uh, back in the mansion, Nightcrawler notices that there's still a portion of Magus stuck in the uh, rubble from the debris of the house, and he has never teleported a part of an object before, but he he makes an attempt, and I guess he, he teleports a small portion of Magus's limb somewhere else. It's off-panel, but uh, the result is Magus's elongating himself through the window or through the roof of the mansion. Uh, and he has a very surprised and pained look on his face as the portion of his body is teleported elsewhere. He drops he does not scream, although they say it's worse. Yeah. He drops Colossus rogue catches him. They all meet up inside of the mansion. Um, and then rogue runs off to attempt to absorb uh, Magus. Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler says, hey, I did not tell you to do that. And she's my risk, elf. And so she flies around and she's like, maybe Natty was right about a seven cents. I, I kind of knew where and when and how Magus was going to make his move. It's not a conscious thing. It's more like me explaining every little detail so that you understand exactly what's happening. I mean, <laughs> I react automatically and fast as lightning. And this works as well as a way to have to never explain this again. <laughs> I guess. Although, usually with the comic books, they go to great pains to make sure that they're explaining it to you every single time. But I never, I don't recall ever hearing anything against or about the seventh sense again. But if we ever see Rogue preemptively dodge something, we know. Yeah. We know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, Rogue is also like, wow, Magus was glowing a lot more than he was before, so all of this fighting and losing parts of his body is really taking a toll out of him. He's probably vulnerable, so now it's time to give him the kiss of life, the one that I wouldn't give Nightcrawler earlier. <laughs> and so she does. She she kisses him right on his electronic-looking teeth, which just seems weird. Like, why she, wouldn't she just take a glove off and touch him? Yeah, I guess it's a callback to earlier in the issue, but it is kind of weird. So she absorbs Magus, which kind of turns her in, well, it turns her into a Magus, I guess. But uh, since they both essentially have the same type of powers, they kind of rebuff one another. Or at least Rogue, Rogue goes flying away. 
thoughts. Oh, perceptions wildly different. Fantastic. Through maggots, I have access to entire universe. Colossus and Nightcrawler make their way over there, and they're like, Oh, you sound like a machine. Nightcrawler, the things self is experiencing that self learned from Magus is beyond belief. Well, perhaps that's better enabled him to combat us, but in no way justifies what you did. I lead the X-Men. That means you do as I say. Okay. <laughs> Colossus says, uh, we got a problem. Yeah, in one of my favorite panels of this entire comic book, you see a giant lit up Magus glowing above the mansion. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty powerful. I could destroy you all, but you showed heart. So I'm out. I almost feel like this is a hologram. It is. I think it is based on what we learn later. But I think Magus is trying to make it look like oh, I am all powerful and I'm actually just sacrificing you so that we can fight again some other time. But mm-hmm. point is, I, I like this panel. Then he disappears. A little while later, Storm and uh, the professor in his snazzy Professor X costume shows up with uh, Rachel and Wolverine. Uh, Kitty's not here. Who's that in the background? Uh, oh, that's Rogue. Rogue, and I think she's still Magacy, maybe. Yeah, she's still techno-organicized. So Kitty Kitty was like, I just don't feel like dealing with this right now. Yeah. Storm's like, well, if Magus is truly as powerful as he boasts, why didn't he destroy us? You think he's running a bluff, Aurora? You're the team leader, Kurt. You tell me. Oh, what a joke. I'm no leader. I didn't even have sense enough to leave someone to watch Magus while we called you guys from the airport and then went and picked you up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this panel doesn't make any sense because... The whole hologram thing seemed to happen immediately after we found Rogue, but whatever. But I guess what happened was we all ran back to the mansion and gave you a call. You need to get back to the mansion now or something. Or maybe we just called the mansion? I don't know. Maybe you guys were back by then. I'm not really good at this whole leader thing. Or maybe we called the car phone. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Uh, Wolverine chimes in and he's like... uh, yeah, you're just fine. <laughs> yeah, forget about it. You're fine. Oh, you should be the boss. I don't want to be the boss. No way. Don't want to. Ain't my style, at least not until we retitle the comic book Wolverine and the X-Men. Maybe <laughs> then. Maybe then I'll lead somebody, but not till then. Cop shows up and says, freeze, nobody move or I'll shoot. Which is, you know, pretty forward, but... And I'm totally going to mind wipe this guy, says the professor, but not yet. Right now, he just sees us as totally normal. Yeah, and we go to great pains here to discuss this this whole uh, telepathic thing that the professor does. Uh, Wolverine's like, I thought you weren't doing this. (laughs) To which the professor never answers? No. (laughs) Well, I am. Mind wipe. You didn't just ask that. And I think he's also scanning uh, Wolverine's mind because he's like, uh, neither my psi powers nor Wolverine's enhanced senses nor our electronic scanners can detect trace of him. Aurora, he's either out of range or he has a means of cloaking himself. Referring to Mag- Mag- Magus. Yeah. So they leave and, uh, yeah, the professor is making it so that once they're gone, this cop will forget why he's there and that he saw anything. And so he is. He's like, oh, geez, man, I got a phone call and I'm, where's my car? Why am I, what am I doing here? 
Seems really <laughs> weird. Why is that mansion on fire? Oh, what a night. I didn't think I parked my car this close. And so he gets into a car and the car turns out to be Magus. Yeah, I don't think I caught that until just now. You know, it would have been nice if the professor didn't mind wipe him so that he would have maybe realized, oh, hey, that isn't my car. That was a motorcycle in your background. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was part of the theme of this issue. This death here is on the professor. Pretty much. I blame the professor for everything. <laughs> so Magus definitely drains the cop's um, life force. And uh, he's like, oh, well, all right. So, you know, this these are pretty formidable people. They've actually defeated Galactus. The X-Men came close to beating me. I'm going to have to be a little bit more careful as I try to approach Warlock. So he Well, the Fantastic Four beat Galactus. These humans are are yeah. resourceful. Yeah. The the cop is in the foreground of this photo. Dead as a yeah. techno organic. He's, he's been techno organicized. He's got one eye left. It's wide open. Mm-hmm. He's got a little mustache. So he disguises himself as a human uh, so that he can kind of uh, do some investigation to figure out the best way to get Warlock. He thinks to himself that it's like, you've surrounded yourself with some pretty smart people, some powerful people. I'm proud of you, but I'm still going to kill you. <laughs> As so, this, this is weird. I, I kind of like the concept of like, you know, when you when you get to a certain age on the Warlock planet, you're hunted by your father, but... That makes me wonder, like, how does their species survive? Like, if this, if the offspring are constantly being killed, or I guess, I guess it's the living offspring that kill their fathers that are around to have babies. But you'd think at one point one of these guys would be like, "Well, I guess it's warlock." He's like, "I don't want to do this. It seems kind of dumb." <laughs> so, anyways, a couple months later, uh, uh, we should note that according to the. Uh, collected epic book that we're reading um it says that between this and the some months later is when x-men annual eight and x-men versus alpha flight all happens uh we're not going to cover that quite yet but we'll get to it later yep folks we're going to be doing a lot of things out of order but uh never fear we'll get to it all so yeah, let's fast forward beyond those those issues, which are going to be awesome. I just know it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the professor is leaving his lecture from Columbia. He's got a bunch of people that are like, "You're great, good teaching," and the professor's not going to change their grade. And he's like, "Enjoy the holidays." So it's about Christmas time that this is all occurring. Mind wipe. Yep. So he's walking around and he's like, oh, you know, I forgot how nice it is to get out and get into the city. The X-Men don't really need me so much. And the new mutants, their lives are so hectic that it's just nice being out with the normies. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's nice not sending my students off to risk their life. It seems that the world seems to hate them more and more as he passes some spray paint that says muties die. And he's all like stupid Dazzler movie. <laughs> and from behind him, he hears somebody yell, Mutie lover! I beg your pardon, he says as he turns around, and there are five youths surrounding him. Some are drunk. Two of them are from his class. And he's like, look, I, I just I want to pass. I don't want any trouble. Don't want to get there, hurt. There are also apparently a few in the in, lurking in the shadows. Yeah, I think that, yeah. So he's like, oh, my God, they're going to attack me. I better use a, a Psylocke on them. So Betsy Broad actually shows up. 
Hey, did somebody call Psylocke? Here I am, puppets. So he uses his Psylocke spelled P-S-I, not P-S-Y, uh, to paralyze only four of the five. Because in the commotion, he's like, ah, oh, did it five, four, did I get them all? I can't keep a dra- track of their thoughts. And then I think the guy that he didn't freeze throws a brick at his head. Oh, see, I was thinking that he psylocked all five of them and that one of the guys lurking in the shadows hit him with the brick. I, I, I would agree that that is a perfectly understandable way to read it. However, the way it's drawn, you see the five figures in the fore- in the background, and then you see his psychic Psylocke hit just the four people, and then that is that fifth person in the back. I, yeah. I feel like the the, pe- Either way. the people in the background uh, are just kind of misleading, and he should have just let that out, left that out. Perhaps. But anyways... Doesn't matter. He couldn't. Uh, the The guys now are like, "Oh my god, I couldn't move. This guy must be a mutie. Let's waste him." And they beat the crap out of him. Yeah, they do. All of them they beat, beat the- him bloody. He's got blood. Like, he, I mean, pretty much the professor. If he were a normal human being, he would be dead. Luckily, he is a mutant and has a mutant healing factor, as we know all mutants have. All mutants have a healing factor. And yeah, they're like, he got what he deserved. Let's get out of here. Hey, I'm really thirsty after all this punch, and let's get some brews. <laughs> yep. From That's our, how college kids are. Yep. I remember my college days beating up old men, then drinking beer. Always getting into fights and going out to the bar. A figure from the background in silhouette uh, and kind of dingy glove and jacket uh, grabs the professor, pulls him into an alley. And we zoom in on some of the materials that the professor had, which was a notebook and a card that says, Professor Xavier, peace on earth, goodwill to men, happy new year, merry Christmas, your students. And it's soaked in blood. No. Next is the 100th issue of the new X-Men in War Hunt 2. Really, we should be covering, as you said, X-Men Annual 8, as well as X-Men Alpha Flight before we get there. But but hey, next episode is our 200th episode, so it just seems timely to cover the 100th episode in our 200th episode, right? I totally agree. Um, and then we're going to go back and uh, yeah, read a lot of material. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We we kind of thought that the 200th issue featuring a probably uh, uh, not important X-Men annual. And uh, I've never read X-Men Alpha Flight, but probably all of the content in there doesn't matter. Would be kind of anticlimactic for the 200th episode. So there. We've made yeah. that decision. We decided on your behalf, listeners. <laughs> and we didn't even ask you. That's true. Uh, yeah. So there you go. No, no letters, no, uh, communique this week, but, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've actually been a little, little lackluster lately in getting the episodes out. We are going to, it's the summer. It is the summer. I'm with you. You know, we got a lot of things going on and movies uh, to watch, movies to watch, comic books to read, video games to play. So yeah. Anyways, if you'd like to talk about, uh, X-Men comic books or movies, Oh, you know, I have another movie tidbit for you, Adam. I was just reading this before this episode, and I got kind of excited. Do you remember that movie Blood Diner? Yeah, of course they do. It's coming out on Blu-ray for like the first time ever since its VHS release. 
great. I don't know if it was ever released on DVD, but I, I was also reading that the the video publisher, Vestron, and all those old kind of crappy 80s video publishing houses – like they've all they've all been bought up and like all the rights have been sorted out, so now they're just gonna start cranking that stuff out onto Blu-ray. Great. And I'm like, man, I stopped buying uh, circular media a long time ago, but that's that's just enough to maybe get me back into it. Just buy digital versions of it. No. All right, fair enough. Artwork, liner notes, things I've... to put on the wall. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want a digital version of Blood Diner. I want to. I want to pull it out and be like, "Hey, man, you ever see this movie? It's surprisingly good." What? <laughs> yeah, it's surprisingly bad. Blood Diner is not surprisingly bad. It's, it's really good. It, it wasn't it um, for what it, it is. It feels like it's a trauma film, but it's not. Oh, it's way better than a trauma film. Trauma really? films are bad. Trauma films are just bad for the sake of being bad. No, they. I mean, there's some. It, like, I don't know, Jeremy. Blood, blood Diner is pretty terrible. No, I mean, I never, no. I never watched it for the stimulating plot or the. Uh, I just watched it for how bad it was. It was, it was, tongue in cheek, uh, horror in the same vein as like Evil Dead or Dead Alive or, uh, uh, what's the alien flicking off the cover that was Peter Jackson's first movie? Bad taste. Really, you you put it up with those, huh? Wow, I, I see it differently. But uh, it's, okay, it's it's a rung below on the ladder. It's not that tier, but it's 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 up there. I will give it this: it is very quotable. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember many of the quotes. Oh, I remember so many of them. Other wasn't it weird old Uncle Anwar? Wasn't that and, the... and most of them I can't say because <laughs> they're they're not appropriate. No, it's totally inappropriate. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Tonight's movie tip, pick up Blood Diner. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> or don't. But anyways, yeah, join in. The- I, I, 50% of you will hate it. <laughs> Not our audience. And the other 50% of you will love it. You think, yeah, okay. I could see that. It's definitely one of those movies where you get or you don't. And if you don't, you hate it. You're like, why did you waste my time with this? If you like movies that are so bad they're good, you you will probably like Blood Diner. Um, but if you like movies that are good... You probably, you might still like it, but uh, it's it's got it's, it's it's shot fairly well. The acting is fairly good. The effects are on par. It's not like ridiculous, and uh, I'm done. It's pretty ridiculous. Okay, the movie itself is pretty ridiculous, but I've seen some super low budget, low rent movies, and this it's this is better than those. It's got a pretty clever concept. I'll yeah. give it that. All right, so. Yeah, there you go. If you want to contact us, you you should. Uh, we're at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. Um, you can uh, email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. Find us on iTunes. Just go into the search bar, type in Danger Room. We'll be the first podcast that shows up. You can subscribe, leave us a review, give us some stars, whatever you choose. Or you can give us a give us a jingle over at five zero one get X Men five zero one four three eight nine six three six. And if you have a super interesting comment or really any comment whatsoever, you'll probably be featured on this podcast. Yeah, why not? And with that, Adam, did you do any reading this week? I did, um, and some of it was quite good. 
But I'll start with the not so great stuff. Okay. Uh, Alpha Flight 21. Not that it was bad, but it um, didn't really add much of anything to anything. Um, Diablo's in it. Oh. Remember him from Fantastic Four? No. Oh. Well, okay. Uh, uh, Diablo had a mistress back before he turned into Diablo, or I guess before he was found by the Fantastic Four. And apparently she's been spending her entire life getting revenge on all of the people who meet, who banished Diablo to his 200-year prison um, by covering them, encasing them in gold alive. So they're, they live forever, but they're encased in gold and they probably go mad. Um, and it turns out this, it, it, and actually a pretty cool sequence, this lady has extended her life by encasing her face with gold and then the rest of her body dies, but she replaces it with robotic parts, which she hides through most of the issues. And that was, that was kind of neat. Um, but nothing doesn't really advance the plot of Alpha Flight very much. Uh, Captain Britain number four. Do you remember the Fury from that stuff that we were reading from by Alan Moore and, and the other guy? Uh, the Fury was the big monster with the one eye that they fought. No. I mean, no. Okay. vaguely. Well, the big monster with the one eye shot somebody, and I think it might have been in the ish, end of one of our issues. And apparently that person has been slowly mutating, and um, Captain Britain has to fight him and thinks he's a bad guy until he hears a telekinetic call saying, please stop hurting me. Oh. And then he just feels really bad because it's just some dude. Yeah. And then he gets kidnapped by Gatecrasher's TechNet, which, looking at these people, I feel like you would know who they were because they're very, uh, what's what's the Excalibur guy's name? Oh, Alan Moore? Uh, the other guy. D- Davis. Alan Davis, there you go, yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in ROM number 65, uh, ROM, where we left off, ROM was frozen on the earth by a bunch of diorites. And the Dire Wraith homeworld was uh, outside of the orbit of Earth. And that was causing a lot of chaos. So all of the Dire Wraiths on Earth show up to taunt Rom. Um, and there's only maybe 300 of them left. So they all show up to taunt Rom, saying that, hey, we won. Nah. <laughs> and that's when the Avengers show up. And the West Coast Avengers show up, and the Defenders show up, and the X-Men shows up, what? and Captain Britain shows up in the wrong costume, and the heroes from Contest of Champions like Shamrock show up, and they all start battling all the Dire Wraiths. Wow. Which makes me wonder if this ever really has any resonance in the Marvel Universe at all. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Rick Jones and Brandy Clark rescue Rom using the power of love, because that's how that works. Meanwhile, uh, in space, Forge and Henry Peter Garrich are uh, arguing about whether or not Forge's neo-neutralizer space gun is going to be used to remove remove all mutant powers and superpowers or just the dire wraiths. Apparently, Forge built it to... uh, Couldn't build it one way or the other, but he doesn't want to use it on the Earth because he doesn't want to... Uh, make all the mutants and superheroes powerless. And 
Henry Peter Garish goes kind of crazy. And he's like, you're betraying everybody. And um, Rom shows up and they tie up Henry Peter Garish. Um, I guess he's suffering from space madness. Space <laughs> madness. Uh, they turn the gun around and they don't fire it at Earth, but they fire it at Wraith World, which is the planet orbiting the Earth now. And that destroys the planet and all of the wraiths. And uh, there's one more issue, I think. Jeez. But apparently all the bad guys are dead. So not sure what the next issue is going to be. Pretty happy that this dire wraith story is ending. There's one more issue with Forge. I don't know if Rom continues past that. Um, and then Defenders number 142 was a surprisingly solid issue. Um, Hank McCoy is giving a uh, another lecture at Fontaine College, which is a small college in the Boston area. And there's a mutant who has six fingers on each hand, who is a piano-playing mutant. And this college is, is uh, pretty liberal, and they don't like all this anti-mutant sentiment. And it turns out that on the same day that Beast is coming to give his lecture, one Senator Robert Kelly is also coming to give a lecture, which just reeks of poor planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have two lectures on the same day. But they decide to make it a debate between Hank and Robert Kelly. Um, so uh, a couple weeks later, Hank and Bobby show up with cloud and they get introduced to the six fingered dude who they think something weird is going on about. And they discover that the six fingered dude, uh, is having weird, uh, grand mal seizures. He's, they claim he's an epileptic, but they're like, oh, something weird's going on with this guy. Uh, Beast, uh, Bobby and Cloud, rather, have a one-on-one about how Beast, uh, Bobby is sort of in love with Cloud, but only the female version of Cloud and the, the male version of Cloud uh, makes him feel really uncomfortable. And Cloud's like, look, the only reason I became a male version is because I was in love with Mood Dragon. So, you know, we can't be lovers anyway. So stop being a jerk and just be my friend. And Bobby's like, I just feel really weird about the whole thing. Um, Senator Kelly shows up and he's trying to explain to everybody that, look, you know, what, what the Mutant Registration Act is doing is we're just we're just trying to we're just trying to we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody into um, concentration camps or anything like that. We just want mutants to register so that, you know. If if there's like if your neighbor had a was building a bomb, uh, wouldn't it be better if you knew that? Yeah. And uh, the six fingered mutant runs up on stage and attempts to assassinate Senator Kelly. Uh, Iceman and Hank try to stop him, saying, "No, this is the worst thing you can do." And through a mishap, uh, misreading this mutant's powers. They, they think that he's carrying a bomb, but he he is in fact uh, got some metallic parts that are uh, his his mutant powers. There's a thing in this issue where his mutant powers are kind of degenerative, 
So he can't, he couldn't, he's not really a superhero. He has six fingers, but his mutant power, uh, and he has, he also has some weird spectrotropic vision or something like that. But his, his, his mutant power is also degenerative and it's whittling away his ability to play piano. So some students help him by building a exoskeleton to help him be able to use his hands, which beast mistakes as a bomb and cloud electrocutes the uh, device and ends up killing this poor kid. And then beast feels really bad and he stops doing his jumping around as a crazy beast guy and puts on a suit and says, you know, I'm not here to apologize for being a clown because it's important that people see that mutants can joke and laugh and that shows that we're human. But right now I need to stand up against what Senator Kelly is doing. This is a bad thing. They're, they're turning mutants into beasts. And uh, the guy has been wearing a monster jacket. It says monster on the back of him, the six finger guy, but now he's dead. So they, they decide to form a... Uh, I guess a, a public group called Monster, which is stands for Mutants Only Need Sensitivity, Tolerance, and Equal Rights. Wow! And uh, it, it's a charity to help everybody understand mutants better. It was a solid issue. Yeah, sounds and so- relevant. Sounds solid and relevant. So that was it. No new mutants this month, but. Or uh, this 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 episode, but they'll be back next episode. Yeah, and I look forward to that. So do I, man. One thing I uh, love those guys. I was thinking about uh, uh, was um, uh, that I didn't get to mention after we read our X Men issue was uh, I I really liked the pacing of this particular issue, uh, and I really liked the mix of story, character building. And action. It's it seemed to have a nice amount of all of those elements. I agree. This was this was a solid issue. It was, uh, yeah, it was it was just well. It, 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 I guess it was kind of it was a filler without being a filler. Like it was it was the first half was sort of fillery, but in one of those good ways that like you know we call a lot of issues of the X Men filler, but they're really not. They're just furthering the story, right? And this this was a good example of that. I think that part of the reason that the X Men is so well uh, revered or remembered or, or or loved is because of a lot of the story doesn't it just, a lot of the stuff that furthers the story is very personal. And this was a good example of just the X Men kind of hanging out. Yeah, I mean there was a fight, but really, if you look back, the fight was only for. Six or seven pages, and the rest of it was all uh, character development. And uh, but not, not only was there a fight, but it was a good fight that is, was actually relevant to like uh, a direction of plot that is sort of important. So yeah, it wasn't like the fight was definitely not a filler fight. I don't think. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm a little worried about next week's issue. Uh, I've never read it, but I've thumbed through it. But well, uh, well, we'll see. I guess we'll, I guess we'll see then. So, <clears throat> until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name is Adam, and the danger room is closed. Um, oh, I always say a special rhyme when I crank the game machine. Oh. <laughs> and now 
it's okay. like can just remember it. Uh, oh, 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 I know. Oh, okay. Here goes. <laughs> the game machine will make us cheer when its fun and games appear. Turn the crank and soon we'll play lots of games all through the day. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. What could be wrong?